everybody. We are in a, for a special treat today. Uh, we are blessed to have missionaries all the way from France, Roger and Susan Peterson here with us. Uh, Roger's a second-generation missionary, uh, 43 years on the mission field, and we've been partnering with them for a long time. And you're going to be blessed to see a video here at the start. I believe we're going to have this here um, in just a moment of some of the folks that have come to Christ, some of the folks who are in a local church uh, because of their ministry, and of course we are partners together. And so this is an answer to prayer. Um, they are going to be around at the back after he preaches God's word, and uh, so you can visit with them for a little bit. Some people have signed up for a missionary lunch, and you know, it's a smaller group, and um, I kind of see that as um, kind of a, I think of this as a hero Sunday. Maybe not everybody thinks of it in that same way, but these missionaries that have been working, uh, giving their lives to the mission field and seeing fruit. Um, I think you're going to mention, did you mention seven churches that have been planted and then you've moved out from? Uh, this is exactly the most wonderful example of church planting ministry. And um, Roger's going to bring the word of God to us. Roger, you come at this time um, and encourage us, say just a word. And uh, thank you for being here. And um, they drove up from Indiana, a long drive this morning, and you're going to drive back this afternoon? This evening. Okay, but uh, anyway, we, we're very glad to have the Petersons with us. Good morning. It's a joy for Susan and myself to be with you. It's been a number of years. We have uh, appreciated your partnership in ministry since 1979, I believe. Uh, and uh, Pastor Bracey and myself were much younger at the time. <laughs> it's a joy to share with you what God is doing in France this morning. And as Pastor Jeremy mentioned, it's it's been a partnership, and uh, we consider that the sixth planet church and the seventh one that we're phasing out of at this current time are really an extension of Calvary and your ministry uh, in and through us to bring the gospel to the people living in France. This short video will give you a bird's eye view, I should say, of what has been transpiring, but also you will hear the testimonies of those lives that have been impacted by the gospel. And they are forever our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're going to witness to that right now. France is known for its stunning scenery, for its wonderful food, for its rich history, for its fascinating culture, sophistication, and beautiful language. France has often been depicted as a vacation paradise decorated with romanticism, castles, insightful theologians, heroic missionaries, gorgeous gardens, and the inspirations found in its culture and fine arts. However, the spiritual reality is that most Frenchmen find themselves trapped in a dark place, void of interest in God, yet so accustomed to their darkness that they are not even aware of their dire predicament. French society, as sophisticated and glamorous as it may appear on the surface, is in fact a deep, disenchanted, fractured, and confused society. And many people wonder, what can you do about that? Practically speaking, where do you begin if you want to foster positive change in a hurting society? And the answer is, plant 
and establish Bible-believing, Bible-proclaiming local churches. L'Église, dans, dans, dans cette période-là, extrêmement, euh, est essentielle puisqu'elle apporte une, une, finalement une tierce organisation ou, euh, ou un cadre tiers euh, qui enseigne euh, la parole de Dieu. Je pense que l'Église, c'est aussi un endroit où, où s'exerce notre foi active. Elle est le lieu où s'exerce l'amour pour, pour nos frères et sœurs, par défaut. Et puis c'est le lieu aussi où Dieu nous donne d'être utile. It is very difficult to find a church in France with sound doctrine in an environment which is not really Christian, uh, where there's a lot of confrontation from the outside world uh, versus what we are and what we represent. It is very important to have the knowledge ourselves of the Word of, of God so that we can become a conduit to spread the good news, to be able to speak about the Bible, speak about what Jesus did, speak about God, speak what it means, talk about what it means to be a Christian, and engage with the people around us um, to communicate these things. But we can only do it if we have ourselves sound doctrine and a good understanding of the word. Basically what we have been striving to bring about here in the western suburbs of Paris is to change the face of society for the glory of God and the good of men through the multiplication of gospel heralding local churches. Because we believe that it is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ that individuals, wherever they are and from wherever they come, can be changed, live transformed lives so that families can be changed, communities and whole cities can be impacted. We had um, different instances in our family life where we needed specific assistance from the elder board and from the pastor. And that's where Roger was there and Suzanne. To, what, and this is gonna make me cry. <laughs> The, the local church, the, the, the importance that it is, is that you have a body that carries you through your struggles, but that also comes to your home, prays for your home, prays for your children. And I think that's something that can only happen if there are physical bodies that live with God that are available in your community. I à travers cette église, finalement, alors bien évidemment, c'était la suite de tout ce que j'avais vécu jusqu'ici, mais je dirais. Euh, la, la concrétisation de, un peu de toutes les questions qui restaient un petit peu en suspens euh, non pas sur les choses fondamentales mais euh, j'irais sur une, une certaine maturité à avoir en tant que chrétien et, euh, et je sens que depuis quelques années euh, ma, finalement ma, ma vie spirituelle a, a pris plus d'épaisseur et plus de maturité à travers les enseignements euh, qui nous ont été euh, prodigué par notre pasteur et, et je dirais quelque chose de plus en profondeur en fait et ça répondait vraiment en tout point à ce que je recherchais et, et voilà on est, on est vraiment ravis de, de cet enseignement que, 
que nous avons à travers la Bible, évidemment, euh, à travers euh, nos frères et sœurs euh, en Christ. I can see um, that people are praying God, uh, worshiping God uh, with a true heart, and that's encouraging me a lot for myself to also carry on to put my faith in God, to pray even more, and to put everything uh, into the hands of God. If there's one thing that defines our philosophy for church planting, it is our expectation that God's ordinary means will produce extraordinary effects. Of course, we have been involved in all kinds of outreaches in the church planting in Chambossy Saint-Germain and in the two daughter churches in Versailles and Croissy over the years. But what we have been about is this, prayerful and persistent Bible teaching and discipleship leading to every believer witness. And God has been faithfully sending people in search of truth, one at a time to listen to his word, receive it, and be born again, becoming true followers of Christ. It has been wonderful to see God at work bringing people together from all different walks of life, nationalities, and backgrounds. People who probably would never be friends outside of the body of Christ. J'ai compris que il suffisait pas de se de s'asseoir rien que sur ses acquis, de croire que toutes nos œuvres nous emmèneraient au, au ciel. Mais non, j'ai compris que c'était l'évangile qui transformait la vie. Et depuis, ce n'est plus pareil parce que je sais que maintenant il faut que je mon église m'a aidé à m'épanouir spirituellement parce que je partage aussi des moments avec des frères et sœurs. Avant, c'était pas le cas. Je n'avais pas de frères et sœurs en Christ avec qui je pouvais échanger aussi régulièrement. Mais aujourd'hui, je peux dire maintenant que j'ai une famille spirituelle sur qui je peux me reposer ici à Chambord-Sé. C'est un enseignement qui est primordial pour tout chrétien. Aujourd'hui, on constate qu'il y a beaucoup de faux témoignages. On constate qu'il y a beaucoup de courants de pensée qui sont là pour pour nous détourner du droit chemin. Mais un enfant de Dieu qui connaît bien la parole de Christ, qui est bien ancré, qui connaît la vraie parole. Je pense que l'Église, c'est vrai, elle a un rôle de, de, de témoignage. Mais je crois qu'aujourd'hui, c'est un cadre extrêmement important pour entretenir la foi et fortifier nos vies en Christ et pour faire face aux défis de, de cette marche à contre-courant dans la société. I'm really um, amazed by the fact that uh, you, uh, you have so many brothers and sisters that are happy just uh, to, to say, to, uh, to speak out loud to the Lord. Evangelicals represent the fastest growing faith movement in France today. A recent survey revealed that there is a new church start every 10 days, about 35 churches a year. Yet, there are still over 35,000 towns and cities without a gospel witness. Though the number of French believers has increased tenfold over the past 60 years, 99.2% of French people don't know Jesus. So what we are praying for is that the Lord would raise up more church planters, both nationals and missionaries alike, to invest themselves in the current church plants, enabling them to continue to grow in maturity and to multiply. We also pray that our witness to the healing and renewal that is found in Jesus will bear more and more fruit in the 262 towns and cities of our area in the western suburbs of Paris.
This area is called the Ivrin and has a total population of 1.5 million people. Thank you for joining with us in making Christ known in one of the most strategically significant countries in Europe. Let's open God's Word together, and we'll be looking in the book of Haggai, or Haggai, depends how you like to pronounce it, short prophetic book between Zephaniah and Zechariah, and as you look for the right page on Haggai, just a reminder that in the bulletins you have a write-up about the current project of church planting in our area. We're asking God to help us and to raise up those individuals so that we can see 100 new churches in this area. just recently, we are aware that there are 10 new projects underway, so we're one-tenth of the way there. So we have a great God, and it's a, it's a great endeavor, and we're trusting Him to bring those servants to help us as we reach out to the French people. I want to begin to read verse 2 of Haggai. Everybody's found the place. Verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And I do know that this is a text that is often pulled out for those special times when a new building is put up or a new project uh, gets underway. At least that's the only time I hear this verse uh, shared. It is time to build the house of the Lord. Now, the house of the Lord is symptomatic. Uh, We are dealing here with one illustration of a general attitude of God's people towards the work of God. So therefore, God sends his servant, the prophet Haggai. And verse 1 gives us even the exact date when he speaks to his servant on August 29, 520 B.C. It is the time of the Gentiles is no longer in the year of the Davidic kings. And I want to hit on four central paragraphs in this first chapter, four ways in which God is calling us today to renew his work in our hearts. Yes, even us that are serving, giving, ministering uh, enormously today. Four ways in which he's asking us to simply renew his work in our own heart. The first one is in this verse 2. And we, we see that these people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And with the nation returning to the land... The ruins of Jerusalem and the temple were a cause for a defamation of the character and name of God. And under Ezra, uh, the cleanup was undertaken, and all the place was made clear for the building of the temple. But some of the elder folk came by, and when they saw the plans for this uh, 
building, and if you read chapter 2, that's where you find these details. They say this is rinky-dink compared to Solomon's temple. And so it discouraged everyone. And what did they do? They quit. And for 16 years, nothing was undertaken. So God sends his servant. You know, the Lord always prefers to send us his word, first of all. And he'd rather that we hear his word, that we get his word, and we respond to it in a proper way. But if we do not, God loves us so much that he will speak through events. He'll speak through history, through circumstances, through hard times to get our attention. Notice how he communicated this to the people. The time has not yet come. Who were they blaming? When we say the time has not come, what do we mean? Well, they're blaming God. It's God's fault. If he wants us to do something, how come he has not provided more money? How come he has not naturalized relations with the Persians? Why hasn't he stabilized the economy? And we could go on with other excuses. But the word of the Lord comes. And notice what the first thing is said about these people. These people say. It does not say my people. So we get an idea of, of the relational distance that is there. This people, these people, they say, they say the time is not yet come. And each one of us could offer up that same excuse. I could offer up the excuse, well, if God wants to see a new work in France, how come he hasn't done anything yet? And we can say that about much of God's work today that goes begging. We can offer up the excuse, well, the time hasn't come. But the text speaks out to us here. And we need to recognize in the events of the day, of our day, a rebuke of God. In the, the general national mess. And in that rebuke of God, we need to see that these are only symptomatic of deeper things. John Calvin put it this way, in such a good manner, to the one who wills to do the right, the time is always present. But the problem is, is that we, men and women, we're, we're pretty ingenious when it comes to hiding our own failings, our own delinquencies, aren't we? But we've got to face it. We do pretty much what we like to do and want to do. So it's bad enough to, to neglect our duty, but we're still to blame providence for patronizing of our neglect. We cannot blame God. And so this text comes out and speaks to us. Stop making excuses. Stop saying, if we only had this, if we only had that. We have the mighty Son of God and His Word. And there is no barrier under heaven, none whatsoever, that can withstand his church advancing. This we must grasp and understand. The second manner 
in which God calls us to renew his work in our heart is by setting priorities. We must determine for us that it is God's work before my work. Now, it would be easy here uh, to take a cheap shot at materialism, but this, that would be beside the point. Let me read verse 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now we can take the easy knocks against materialism, humanism, secularism. But what is truly being said here? The point is, is that they are living in very nice homes, paneled ceilings on the lot. It's pretty nifty, whatever it is. We get that idea. And God's point is, how come you are able to build your own homes when God's house didn't get it? You got your own, but you say, oh, there's no time to get the temple up. I think it's a very interesting point that he raises. God saying through his prophet, you had time to get yours, but you couldn't get God's. You had time for yourself, but you had no time for God. Time for your work, for your comfort, for your homes, but you do not have time for God's work. And I believe this is really transparent. So the point is not materialism. The point is, is as God's work is left undone in ruins, ours is cared for. And so God, the Lord of hosts, simply says in verse 5, the Lord Almighty, give careful thought to your ways. What is he saying? He is saying that the, the spiritual condition of our heart can be seen in our attitudes towards spiritual things. Whether it be meeting with the body of Christ as intercessors, as witnesses to worship God, but here we see that there had been a vacuum for 16 years. Nothing was done. So God keeps speaking his word. And yet there was no response. Status quo for 16 years. With a mighty God and a great work at hand. Status quo. So God says, give careful thought. Consider your ways. And he lifts up one important point in verse 6. Are you planting more and harvesting less? You see, no one cheats God without badly cheating themselves. But notice all the absolutes that are given here. Planting more, harvesting less, drinking more, enjoying less, wearing more, feeling less warmth, earning more, and having less to spend. We know how that hits home for all of us, don't we? But here it's the idea that's been thrown up to each one of these instances. And God says, ponder this earnestly. Do not make excuses. That's no way for the work of God to go. But set priorities. That is the way for the work of God to go. Let me ask a question, a true or false question. 
Do you think it's good to include God in our plans? True or false? Well, the answer is false. God wants us to be included in His plans for our personal life and in His plan to reach the world world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this we must understand. God's work before my work. God's way before my way. And the third principle, the third way that which God is calling us to renew his work in our lives, we have in verse 7 through 12, and that's by getting involved. And once again, verse 7, he repeats what verse 5 has said, give careful thought to your ways. And then he adds, go up to the mountain, bring down timber, and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Give careful thought. And God really wants us to put this one on in a proper manner, not in a simple cognitive academic way, but a true heart furniture. But verse 8 raises a point and a question I had when looking at this text. And there's a problem here. Where did all the timber go for the temple? King Cyrus had made a fine donation 16 years before, sending all the materials with Ezra to build the temple. Now, where is the timber? Where is the stuff? Pretty interesting question. Now, it doesn't say, but in the margin of my Bible, there's a suggestion because I wrote it in. And the suggestion is that these people pilfered the timber on the job. When I was in Bible college, I was working in a a factory, commercial international, commercial international plastics. That's what it was. And putting myself through college was not easy. I learned a lot on the job, but there were things that were walking off the work site every day. You know, tools, power tools, things were disappearing. And so they set up a special security measures to make sure nobody was carting off in their lunch pails or anything else uh, what belonged needed to stay in the factory. And we had one man for two weeks, you know, five days one week and five days the next week. He came out each day with a wheelbarrow full of sawdust. And they would check the sawdust each day and not find anything in it, so they let him go. But they were convinced that he was taking something out of the factory. <clears throat> so finally they confronted him and after two weeks, he, he responded when they asked him, what are you taking out? He says, wheelbarrows. <laughs> These people, and God responds to them, Take, give careful thought to your ways. Now, what is the purpose of being spiritually renewed? The, the purpose of seeing God's work profis, uh, prosper, it is here. And he he underlines it. Go up, bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored and be glorified. The chief end of man is to glorify God. 
and to enjoy him forever. And the chief delight is the light of a witness, of a person working for God, of establishing his church is to see God's name lifted up and to see men and women come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and sing praises to their Lord and Savior. So it brings pleasure to God and it glorifies him. And that is reason enough for each one of us to to pray for our own spiritual renewal. Lord God, do it again. Help us. Help us to turn away from our sin. Help us to pray, to humble ourselves, and to call out to your holy name. And so I take it that God is not pleased with buildings or programs or service per se. It is simply the use and the significance that these things have in glorifying God and bringing praise to him. And so we ought to consider it once again. Think about it once again. And if that is the purpose of obedience, by getting involved, the purpose is to see God glorified. It's pleasurable to him. Notice in verse 9 also the cost of disobedience. And we find this in the text here. You expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my home, my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. If that's the purpose of obedience to glorify God, then the cost of disobedience are shortages. And if you read through verse 10 and 11, you see all the shortages of materials and goods and wages and food and manpower. But then let's look at verse 12 and the beauty of obedience. In the last part of that verse, uh, a phrase that we have very few like this in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Because the Lord their God had sent him And the people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. And I believe that is a wonderful thing. They took it to heart. They did consider their ways. And they took God at his word. And so we are not to make excuses. We are to set priorities. We are to get involved. And lastly, the fourth way in which God renews and revives his work in our hearts is by offering us his enablement, by helping us. We are to receive God's enablement. In verse 13, God says, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. And I believe we sang that song earlier. Remind us, whom shall we fear? Uh, God is with us, always with us. And if there ever is a need of consciousness in all the aspects of the work of God, it is this, that he is with us. God takes his name, his son's name, Emmanuel, God with us, and he stamps it on every local endeavor. And there's not one attempt to reach out with the gospel that ought to go out on its own steam. 
I encounter many couples that are looking to missionary service, <coughs> and particularly in France. And recently, some have come up with the fact that, well, I'd like to just go out and give it a, a try, do my best, and if it doesn't work out, well, I can always come home to the States. And I look him straight in the eye and say, no, no, we're not interested. God's team is a team ministry. And if God's in it, he'll allow you to do it because he's promised to stand beside you. I am with you. And so we need to go out in the power and the strength of the living God who stands alongside us. Sometimes I, th I think we're like-minded to the servant of Elisha who wakes up one morning and rushes to wake up the prophet Elisha and says, we're in trouble. You find this in the passage in 2 Kings chapter 6. And he says, Elisha, the hillsides are spread with the enemy. It's a lost cause. And Elisha takes everything in stride and he prays for his servant. And he says, oh Lord, please help my brother here. He has problems he can't see. He doesn't have that spiritual eyesight. And the text says that the Lord opened up the eyes of this man. And what did he see? He saw the squadron of angels encamped around them. God's effective protection of them. Now we might think of that text and wonder how wonderful it was that God did certain miracles in the past. But God has not changed. We need to change, but we always need to remember that he is with us, and he stands beside us. He encompasses us. And the text is emphatic, I am with you. I am with you. And in face with all the difficulties of life, of family, job, and churches even, the enablement of God's power is given. I am with you. And we need to teach our hearts something. Every time we get down, discouraged, and we say, how is this going to happen in my own heart and life, let alone trying to communicate it to someone, someone else? And the text is there to comfort us. I'll be there. I am with you. Power for weaklings, promises, of blessing. And we have the appropriate response to the word of God in verse 14. It says that they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. And the Holy Spirit, our comforter and teacher, has promised to stir up the hearts of men and women to whom we communicate the gospel to stir up our own hearts. And my prayer today is that he will stir your heart and mine, not just to service, but to surrender to his will so that we can see his work renewed in our lives. You know, when we consider France and the huge job that is, is before us, uh, it's a magnificently huge job. And God has given a country to a few faithful servants. And we might say, well, what are we with so few? And the answer is, 
plenty because God is at our side. Do you long for the real thing in your heart and your life? Why do we invest so much without seeing a maximum of what can be done if we invest it properly? May we sing with the psalmist in Psalm 85, verse 6, Lord, will you not revive us again? And he most certainly will. Is that your desire? Is that your prayer? Your heartfelt response to God's prompting? We need to refuse to offer excuses, confess known sin, and be made pure again. We need to set priorities to surrender to God's will for our, for our lives and then commit ourselves to be involved in obeying what he has asked us to do that he may be glorified in our lives and in and through us to others and lastly that we would be dependent upon him receiving his enablement simply claiming his promises and depending on him let us pray <clears throat> Father we ask you to seal to our hearts these truths from your word. We pray for each one of us here. We all come from different walks of life. Many of us have enormous pressures upon us. Lord Jesus, help us, we pray. May your wonderful peace flood into hearts that are yielded before you. May we have this strong sense of your presence, of your power, of your spirit. Stir our hearts, Lord. May we understand that what you are undertaking is not man-made, but comes from above. And for this, we thank you and we bless you, along with my brothers and sisters forever and ever in glory, along with all those who will hear because of your strong arm on behalf of your name. For it is in your blessed name that we pray.